So Luke chapter 7, verses 11 to 17. Soon afterwards, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and said to her, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the buyer. They were carrying him on, and the bearer stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Thanks for reading, Chris. Um, my welcome uh, to Chris Sanford's. I'm Chris Evans, assistant pastor here. Um, it's a joy to preach uh, this passage to us. Let's pray for the Lord's help, shall we, as we come uh, to hear his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your words are words of life, words that spoke creation into being, words that have brought about your salvation plan in the Lord Jesus. Your word is powerful indeed. And Father, we ask now that you would work your powerful word in our hearts by your spirit, that we might know you and treasure you more deeply. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I used to, um, kind of during lockdown days, do a, a bit of a cycle loop up round the kind of villages north of Winchester. Tried to do it a few times a week, and occasionally um, I would stop off halfway in Sutton Scotney um, at a churchyard for a little bit of a breather. Um, but one day, I kind of the church was locked. I got reading some of the um, the tombstones. I found something very moving. Um, halfway through the cycle ride, I wasn't expecting to be kind of welling up, um, but there were these two tombstones next to each other. Um, it was a brother and sister that had died um, 14 years apart. Uh, he was 21 uh, when he died. At that point, she was two years old, and she lived for another 14 years, and sadly, she died as well. This was back in the 18. Hundreds, but it is deeply sad to, to, to sort of see them next to each other there in the churchyard. Kind of wonder, growing up, as a, she lost her older brother at two years old, would she have had any memory of him? Would they have spoken about him around the house? And what a heartache for the parents 14 years later to see their daughter die as well. That sort of sight, I mean, it just brings home something we all know, doesn't it? That death is horrid. But also, a sight like that kind of feels something we're used to. Death also feels quite inevitable. We kind of have procedures to process it and, and go through. Death 
and grief, they have a place, don't they, in our, in our kingdom. It's such a part of reality that, that it, it does feel normal. And yet our reaction to it, and my reaction when I was reading those gravestones, suggests that deep down we feel that there is something profoundly unnatural about it as well. Our feelings of, of kind of futility and loss, they tell us that whatever place death has, it doesn't sit easily with us. It does have a place in our kingdom, but it stings, doesn't it? And it hurts awfully, like a deep thorn that is embedded in our side, but we long for it to be removed. I guess the question is, when we come to a passage like this, what place does death and grief have in the kingdom of the Lord Jesus? And in Luke 7, uh, we see Jesus teaching us about what his kingdom will be like. We, we started that a couple of weeks ago. And when you look at kingdoms and, and empires, they always take on something of the character of their leader, don't they? You kind of look at the institutions and cultures that they create, and it reveals something of the people who are in charge, what they value. And that might be for good, lots of positive things. Uh, it might be uh, for ill. And the same is true when we come to the Lord Jesus. If we want to know what place death and grief have in Jesus' kingdom, well, we need to start with the king. And here, we see Jesus encounter death and grief face to face. So as we start with the king, we're going to see a king who is tender and mighty. That's our first, first point, a king who is tender and mighty. We're given a tragic scene. Have a look at verse 11. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain. And his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out. And before we know anything more about the situation, the who, the what, the when, the how, there is something tragic about this story already, isn't there? The ending of a life always brings grief and sadness as relationships are left hanging in the air. But as Luke gives us more details, there is something that feels especially tragic about this situation. We're told that this person was the only son of his mother. When you go to the funeral of someone who has died in old age, lived a, a full life, it is sad but it doesn't perhaps feel totally unexpected. You expect that a child will probably at some point have to bury their parents. But for a parent to have to bury their child is particularly heartbreaking, isn't it? An accident, an illness, a miscarriage. I know that is the pain that some in this room will know all too well. It is a grief that happens kind of out of the expected order of things, and it has a particular kind of bluntness to it, doesn't it? But this isn't just a child, this is her only child. How sad. But there's more. This funeral path is a path that she has trod before. Did you see? She was a widow. Every step of this journey probably reminded her of the double tragedy of that 
funeral that she walked through before. She would have been very dependent on her son to care for her after her husband had died, but now he has gone too. He would have helped her through the last tragedy, but what now? And this death threatens more than her mere happiness. In, in this culture, what is lying on that funeral buyer isn't just her son, but her future, her security, her protection. We have got a scene of, of great sorrow here. We have a, a mourner followed by crowds of mourners. But then she meets head-on another individual followed by another crowd, the Lord Jesus himself. Well, what is Jesus' response going to be to grief and suffering? Well, we see three things about him. Let's pull out. Firstly, Jesus is compassionate. Verse 13, when the Lord saw her, his heart went out, for he had compassion on her. Well, that doesn't really capture the force of it. The word is, is sort of, Jesus felt this deeply in his bowels, in his, his guts. There's no obligation for Jesus to stop here, but he does because it is who he is. It is his heart, his posture towards grief and misery. Well, what do we see about his compassion, though? Well, firstly, it's not blind. He sees. He doesn't overlook what's going on around him and move on. Back in Genesis 16, Hagar and Ishmael are sent away from Abraham. And there's this moment where they, they seem completely deserted and alone. And what does she say? The Lord is the God who sees. When we encounter grief, we must know that we are not unseen by the Lord Jesus. The look that he gives this woman is the same gaze he sets upon you and I. He sees our pain and feels it in his guts. His compassion isn't blind. And his compassion is personal. When does it arrive? Have a look. It's not on seeing the buyer or the crowd or the boy, but it's as he sees her, the pain of her story, her situation. This isn't sort of a general compassion just sort of aimed and shot in, a, in, in her direction. No, it is one who is deeply acquainted with the details. He feels the grief beside her. He knows every concern she carries, every concern that we carry, and longs to help shoulder them. It isn't blind, it is personal, and it's a compassion that moves towards. It's slightly skipping forward in the story, but there's a sense here, Jesus doesn't keep his distance from the pain. He moves towards it. Now, of course, there's wisdom, isn't there? We don't want to smother people who are grieving or in pain. But standing at a distance can add isolation to injury. Being present, more than just offering things from afar, but but praying in person and being there to be called upon if you need it. He moves towards that compassion. But Jesus, how is Jesus' compassion different to, to ours at this point? 
And at our best, maybe we would manage to do these. I think there is something different though, isn't there? Because Jesus' compassion is also sinless. Our compassion, as our best efforts, will fail in in some way. Let me just recount to you a little illustration from um, this book, Dane Ortland's Gentle and Lonely. He talks about um, a a trip where he goes to, to India, and he's walking the streets of Bangalore, and he finds an older man sitting homeless in a large cardboard box. He says his clothes were tattered and dirty. He was missing several teeth. And what was most distressing were his hands. Most of his fingers were partially eaten away. It was clear, he said, they hadn't been damaged by an injury. That he was a leper. What does his heart do in that moment? He says, my fallen, prone-to-wander heart, he feels compassion. A little, anyway. But it was tepid compassion. Talks about how his compassion... Though it was true, well, it could fade over time. It could be distracted. He could restrain it. He says, fallen emotions not only sinfully overreact, but they can sinfully underreact as well. Then he asks a question, what must it mean for a sinless man with fully functioning emotions to lay eyes on a leper or to lay eyes on a grieving widow? or perfect, unfiltered compassion. Undistracted, unfeigning, unrestrained. Compassion that is perfect. He says, and what if that human were still a human, though now in heaven, and looked at each of us with unfiltered compassion, outflowing affection, not limited by a sinful self-absorption that restricts our own compassion. That is the compassion of the Lord Jesus. That is precious indeed, isn't it? And before we look at what Jesus does next, we must remember that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Christ and the compassion of Christ we see here is what each of us can know and enjoy right now. The Jesus who sees our suffering, who moves towards our pain, who is personal and who is undistracted, unfading in his compassion towards us. When we think about a kingdom, this is a kind of king that we could follow, isn't it? But what he does next seems to be the opposite of compassion. Have a look. What does he, he opens his mouth and he says to her, don't cry. A couple of bits of advice. That's probably not the best thing to say to someone who's just lost a very close family member. Probably didn't need, to tell, need me to tell you that. Um, funeral possessions, they're not a really common thing today, are they? But can you imagine someone, uh, they're, they're in their car, the funeral possession is, is going ahead and, and they're just waiting there. I've been sat here 20 minutes. Imagine getting out of the car and just, don't cry, move over. It's the last thing you'd say, isn't it? So what is Jesus saying here? Why is he doing it? Well, a kingdom that is ruled by a compassionate king may be a wonderful and a comforting place to be. But at the moment, it's still a place of grief, isn't it? 
And Jesus knows his kingdom is better than that. Jesus can offer more than the compassion of the crowds around him. Not just because he is perfectly compassionate, but because he is uniquely powerful. Second thing about Jesus, he is uniquely powerful. He gives this woman a reason to stop crying. Have a look at verse 14. Then he went up and touched the buyer. They were carrying him on. And the bearers stood still. Jesus is not keeping his distance. He is getting hands on. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. Imagine the amazement. Jesus, can you just leave us and let us mourn in peace? This feels like madness. Who talks to a dead body and calls it to rise? Just imagine how bizarre this would be if it happened at a funeral that we had been to. Because our kingdom has a place for death and grief. But something extraordinary happens here. Verse 15, the dead man sat up and began to talk. As if to prove this is real, we have two things that dead people don't do. He moves, he talks. And then with wonderful tenderness, Jesus gives him back to his mother. A king who is tender, but mighty. I don't know about you, there comes a time in teenagers' years where, kind of, I don't know, particularly young men, maybe women as well, are, are quite hard to get up out of bed. Um, parents often have to I don't know, throw water at them, send kind of, um, kind of Siri messages upstairs. Um, it can be hard work getting teenagers out of bed, can't it? But Jesus seems to find it easier to bring this young man back to life than most parents do waking a child up from sleep. Young man, I say to you, get up. Most parents would would love it if their teenager got up like that, wouldn't they? Everyone who has walked the face of this earth has been powerless in the face of death. No one has been able to do anything more than postpone it for a little bit. But Jesus has unique power. He is able to reverse it with just a word. And how is that? Well, not just because he's compassionate or uniquely powerful, but thirdly, because Jesus is God. The people say, a great prophet has arisen among us. I wonder if they're thinking back hundreds of years before to the prophet Elisha, who displayed great power and brought back a young man to life on a a nearby town in 2 Kings 4. But Elisha, he had to pray to God for this miracle to happen. Jesus doesn't. He commands the boy to rise himself. And we see the people know that this is more than a prophet. They say God has come to help his people. This isn't just a man. This is God. Jesus has unique power because he is not just another prophet. He is the source of power himself. It's not just a bit like God, he is actually God. The God that had seemed out there has come near, and he has come to help. People have that phrase, don't they, about never meeting your heroes, about how kind of human heroes and kings ultimately, uh, they disappoint. But here, Jesus, 
he does not disappoint. He, he isn't a flawed hero. His compassion is not weakness. He doesn't have to learn how to control his power. In the Old Testament, we get this description of God again and again. The Lord, the Lord, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Jesus is not a different God. He's not a bit like God. Hebrews 1 verse 3 tells us the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. As we encounter Jesus' compassion, his unique power, his tenderness and his might, we are encountering the eternal living God. They are meeting their longed-for Messiah, and he has not disappointed them. A king like this is good news, isn't he? To some extent, whether he does anything for us or not, he's good news. These are beautiful characteristics and worthy of praise. But as happy as we may be for this grieving widow, why is this event good news for us as well? Well, it's because his tenderness and his might, his compassion, unique power, his divinity, they show us the kingdom that he is bringing, the kingdom that we can be a part of, the help that God has come to bring. That's our second point, that we see this king who is tender and mighty brings a kingdom where death is defeated. A kingdom where death is defeated. Jesus does something at the middle of this story which most of us wouldn't bat an eyelid at. In verse 14, in between looking with compassion, in between speaking, he touches the funeral buyer. I mean, Jewish culture, touching anything connected with death, especially a dead body, made you ritually unclean. It was like a big keep away sign. It meant that you, you couldn't be in the presence of God. Jesus touched this coffin and he makes himself unclean. Perhaps that's why the, the bearers stood still. People normally keep their distance from death, don't they? But Jesus is moving towards it. But normally in these situations, the flow is a kind of one-way traffic. Uncleanness flows out of the dead body. But it's hard to sort of reverse that. Nothing goes back in. You can't kind of cancel it by getting someone clean along to touch them. No, to become clean again, you have to go through um, sacrifices and ritual washings. It's like pushing against the currents. Now, we're used to seeing one-way traffic. But what's surprising here that something does flow in the other direction. As Jesus takes the boy's uncleanness, a swap happens. The life that Jesus has flows from him to the boy. Jesus takes upon himself the boy's infirmities, his uncleanness, and gives the boy the gift of life. It's extraordinary. And we might think at this point, brilliant, Jesus. I know exactly what's going to happen in the rest of Luke's gospel. Let's line up some funeral homes and then pay a visit to the cemetery and then the hospital. But that would be to miss the point. What happens here at Nain, it won't take away the misery, the sadness of death for others in that city. 
all for us. But if we rightly understand it, it will take away the despair and the horror of death and grief. Because this episode is just a picture of the kingdom that Jesus has come to bring. A couple of weeks ago, Donnie described this section of Luke as a little bit like a a show home. It's on, on a plot that's waiting to be developed. You go in and you look around and you get a taste for the home that, that you're hoping to enjoy once it's been built. This event in Nain is the show home. But the whole city is still waiting to be built. To turn this show home into a kingdom city, Jesus will have to go hands-on, not just with one dead person, but with death itself. Jesus has to do more than just get close to death, more than just touch it. He has to taste it for himself. He has to take upon himself the uncleanness, the the sin of everyone who will be in his kingdom. This king who is compassionate, who is uniquely powerful, who is God, he has to die. So that this swap of death and life can happen on a cosmic scale. And so fast forward, Luke's gospel is always looking forward to Jerusalem. Looking forward to that moment on the cross. Where we see this story that we've just read kind of being acted out again, but with Jesus at the centre. He is the only son. He's accompanied by mourners. He's the one He will face death and ultimately die. His eyes that look with compassion on this mother, they would look with compassion upon his mother, but they would eventually close. His mouth, which speaks words of life here, would cry out, it is finished, and eventually fall silence. His hands would again touch wood, wood that would carry a dead body but this time they would be pierced with nails and the body would be his. But as Jesus died, he would bring life. He would pay the wages of sin on our behalf for anyone who would trust in him. Jesus gets hands-on with death itself, not just by touching it, but by tasting it and dying in our place. Puritan John Owen wrote a book which kind of puts it like this in the title. The death we, on the cross, we see the death of death in the death of Christ. The death of death in the death of Christ. Well, death and grief, they have a place of sorts, don't they, in our present kingdom where we live. But the only place that it will occupy in Jesus' eternal kingdom, are the scars that he will bear in heaven to show that it has been conquered. We see here a tender and mighty king who will bring a kingdom where death has been defeated. That is precious news indeed. What can we take from that as we bring things to a close? Well, two things. Firstly, in the face of death and grief, there is a place for confidence in the future. Because this event in a small town 
is a picture of an event that would change the world. It's a picture of the new world to come, a kingdom where death isn't just delayed, but defeated, where funerals aren't just postponed, but cancelled altogether, where graveyards are turned into orchards, where that seed of the natural body is sown in the ground, will bear fruit in a glorified body. Where there is hope of being given back to our loved ones who have died in the Lord, just as the son was given back to his mother. There is a place for confidence in the future. That graveyard that I cycled past, on one of the tombstones for the little girl, it said these words, she faded like a leaf, and fell asleep in the arms of her saviour. The process of dying may still be horrible, but for those in Christ, it is falling asleep in the arms of our saviour. And we will hear his words arise and know that everlasting life waits with him. We can have confidence in the future, but this kingdom also gives us comfort for the present. In Isaiah 53, talking about Jesus dying on the cross, he says these words, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Jesus' death doesn't just get us through death, but also through life. Jesus bears the burden and the curse of our suffering and our griefs on the cross. And in his tenderness, in his might, He longs to bear our burdens, to give us comfort now as well as in the future. He is willing and able to sustain us, to uphold us. It's not the promise of a pain-free life, but it is a promise to, to shoulder the weight of pain and loss if we lean upon him. It's confidence in the future, but also comfort for the present. When a tender and mighty king brings a kingdom where death is defeated. So friends, we can be confident this kingdom is coming. And we can be comforted as we wait by our king of compassion, of unique power, our king who is God himself. Let's take a moment to reflect and then I'll lead us in a prayer. Isaiah 25, on this mountain he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. Heavenly Father, we praise you for Jesus, our King. We praise you that he is a King like nobody else, a King who draws near to us in compassion, perfectly, undistractedly, unfailingly, but a king who can do more than have compassion on us, but with his unique power, strengthen us and even bring us from death to life. Father, we thank you that he is our king. We thank you for the kingdom that he is bringing about, for the hope that feels so alien to the world that we live in, so full of death and decay. 
as day by day we are confronted by its reality, we pray that the deeper reality of the kingdom Jesus is bringing about would bring us a deeper comfort as we wait and as we grieve and as we hope. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.